All right, and let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 this morning. Once you arrive there, Romans chapter 3, I ask you to stand with me. It's been a while since you've stood, so let's stand together as I read uh, the passage that we'll be considering this morning, Romans 3. Uh, and uh, this morning, I'll be preaching on verses 19 and 20. But uh, for sake of uh, just a quick review, I'd like to read Romans 3, 9 through 20 uh, with you out loud as we hear the word. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You may be seated. This morning, I will be dealing with a biblical passage that succinctly states the nature of God's future judgment on humanity. We're going to be looking solely at verses 19 and 20. I preached a few weeks ago from verses 9 through 18. If you were to ask your unbelieving neighbor whether he will ever be accountable to God for his actions... His answer might take different forms. Some neighbors would likely try to deny the existence of God and thus any accountability to him for how they live their lives. Romans 1, however, helps us with that. Romans 1 reminds us that they clearly know that God exists. Deny it as they will, their conscience and creation condemn them before God. Other believers, or other neighbors, however, who believe that there is a God, or would admit that, will likely think that they will somehow make a case that God should accept them when they 
go before the final judgment of God. Maybe she believes that she will be able to present all the ways in which she has helped people and been a good influence in society. Maybe he thinks that in that day, he will compare himself to others who make the news and are known for their egregious crimes like embezzlement, abuse, rape, assault, or murder. They think, I'll just compare myself to that person and be okay. Regardless of how your neighbor would respond, make no mistake about it. According to Scripture, every person will appear before God's judgment. Further, the biblical text in Romans 3, 19 and 20 gives a clear and different picture of what God's judgment, uh, what judgment is like in his sight, uh, as the text says here. Instead of arguing or reasoning with God about our conduct in this life, this text argues that all human self-justification and explanation will be silenced. No human being will escape the chair of God's judgment and no person will be able to justify himself in God's presence by his works or by his words. My goal this morning in this text is quite simple. It's twofold. I want you to see that for yourselves from this passage. And I want to motivate you to warn others that no human escapes the judgment chair of God. You see, men and women, what the scriptures demand will one day shut every human mouth and hold every person accountable because no one will be justified by obedience to the demands of holy scripture. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, Paul's been making a case about universal sinfulness. His case actually started back in Romans 1. In Romans chapter 1, he, he talks freely about the condemnation of all Gentile people. Anyone on this planet, throughout the history of time, who is not a Jewish person, is dealt with in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. All Gentile people are condemned and under the wrath of God. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 8, he lays out the full condemnation of the Jewish people as well. And to summarize in Romans 3, 9 through 20, he makes it quite clear that both Gentile and Jew, all humanity are under the condemnation of God. He starts this in verse 9 when he gives an opening statement, kind of like a prosecuting attorney, where he just makes this opening statement. And then he gives all of the damning evidence in verses 10 through 18. He combines scripture after scripture after scripture together to make the case that there's no one righteous. All have turned aside. All have done what is wrong. All have sinned. 
And uh, he makes this quite obvious. His case is so full, so full and extensive that his final statement in verses 19 and 20 is quite succinct. Paul makes only two final brief points and then he's done. And that's what we're going to look at today. So just two points to this sermon. Uh, don't get too comfortable. The sermon is going to go quickly today. At least uh, that's my hope. Two points. The first one is in verse 19. If I were to summarize Paul's point in this verse, it would look like this. The scriptures demands will shut every mouth. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now in full transparency, we're going to have to do a little bit of heavy lifting here in this verse for about five minutes. Can you do that? Can you dig in? Listen. And once you do that, the point that Paul is making here will be amazing, profound. So let's dig in. The point that Paul's making is to demonstrate how the law holds everyone accountable before God and how the law's requirements will shut every mouth in future judgment. But I want to look more closely at verse 19, and verse 19 is actually a little bit harder to interpret than it might first appear. One of the keys to understanding this verse is to identify who Paul is talking about when he says, those under the law. Okay, so I'm going to go after that for just a few minutes here. Who are those under the law? Now, this phrase could accurately be, be translated, more accurately be translated, those in the law. Those in the law. If I were just literally putting it out there, not worrying about, you know, selling a Bible and making it, you know, readable... It would be those in the law. That's what the the Greek text demonstrates. Those in the realm of the law. Paul is talking about those people in the law's realm or sphere of influence. And there are actually two possible answers regarding who these people are. Those in the law. It could refer only to Jewish people which is how we might be tempted to just take it initially. Or it could refer to all people. It's only Jewish people or all people. And to answer that question, we have to answer another, and that is what law is Paul referring to in Romans 3, 19 and 20? What law is he referring to? In verse 19, Paul has the law speaking kind of makes a person out of the law. And it speaks to those who are in the realm of its revelation. Now, the word law can be used in a bunch of different ways, but I think there are two possibilities here. He could be talking about the law code of Moses. You know, the old covenant found in Exodus through Deuteronomy, right? He could be talking about the law of Moses, Or 
he might be referring, when he uses the word law, he might be referring more generally to the scriptures as a whole. All right, so that's what we wrestle with. Uh, Sometimes Paul uses the word law to refer to the law of Moses, other times to the whole Old Testament, everything he had in his Bible, the law, the writings, and the prophets, all of that Paul could sometimes call the law. Let me show you that. You don't need to turn there, but uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians is a place where Paul quotes from, and if you notice in the introduction here behind me, in the law. Okay, In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues, by lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul refers to the law, uses the same word here, and he quotes from a place in the Old Testament. You see that? You see those quotation marks around? After that introductory formula, in the law it's written, you've got a quote. Now, where does that quote come from? Right, pop quiz. Well, we're not going to take the time for you to, to miss the question. Okay. It comes from Isaiah chapter 28. Maybe some of you knew that. Isaiah chapter 28. Verses 11 and 12. Direct quote from Isaiah. All right, so sometimes Paul can quote, as he says, from the law, but quote a book like Isaiah that is found in either the writings or the prophets of the Old Testament. That is, sometimes the word law can be bigger than just the law of Moses. I think the psalmist might have this in mind when he says that he meditates upon the law of the Lord. Okay, I think it includes more than just the Mosaic law code. It's another way of him saying he meditates upon the scriptures. Okay, and that's how I think Romans three nineteen and 20 should be taken. When we read the word law, I think in particular Paul has in mind the scriptures. And so let's look at Romans three nineteen and 20 again. Now we know that whatever the, and you could possibly substitute here just to help us make sense out of what he means by law, the scriptures. For we know that whatever the scripture says, it speaks to those who are under or in the scriptures, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by works of the scriptures, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the scripture comes knowledge of sin. Paul's referring here, I believe, to how the scriptures, including the law, the writings, and the prophets, speaks to those within its realm of influence. Now, you should ask at this point, why do you believe that, or why should I read it that way? And I I would just say this is a difficult question, and people disagree on this a lot. The heavy lifting, by the way, is just about done. But there are a few factors that would push me this way. First, Paul has just been quoting many verses from the Old Testament in Romans 3 that demonstrate that all humanity is under sin. We, We read them. You know how many of those come from the law of Moses? The answer is none. None of them come from the law of Moses. They're all coming from Isaiah, Ecclesiastes, and the Psalms. They're coming from the writings and the prophets. You see, after quoting from the writings and the prophets, Paul can talk about the law, I think, Scripture, speaking to those who are in its sphere of influence. But secondly, it seems more likely that Paul intends the scriptures generally here because he has it stopping every mouth. 
and holding the whole world accountable to God. I think it's more likely that Gentiles who did not have the law code of Moses are held accountable by the whole of Scripture. In these verses, then, Paul's placing Gentiles in the realm of God's law found in Scripture. Okay, so at this point, I want everyone, metaphorically, give yourself a pat on the back. You made it through the hard time. Okay, now, with that understanding in mind, we come to Paul's true meaning and intention of verse 19. Paul has Scripture speaking to everyone under its influence of its revelation in such a way so that what Scripture says shuts every mouth. You see, Paul foresees a day at the final judgment when every mouth is stopped and the whole world is accountable before God. And I just found that statement this week to be amazing. Amazing. Every mouth will be shut at the future judgment. If all we had to consider is what we know in this fallen world, we might think that that is impossible. When it comes to one's religion or autonomy or freedom, everyone has something to say today. It is extremely rare, maybe impossible, to find someone who doesn't justify or defend his choices, even if many others know that he's wrong. The bold and loud excuses and justifications of human beings today can be so disheartening for us that it's not hard for us to imagine some of these people pointing their finger right in the face of God in the final judgment, asking who he is to judge them. But men and women, that simply is not how things are going to be. Even if all fallen humanity bands together to protest against God in the final judgment, the case will be so strong, no one will say anything. Imagine a judgment like that. When the case is so strong, the weight of the evidence so damning and heavy that the defendant can't say anything. They are speechless. see a few friends here today from my hometown, Clymer, Pennsylvania. I won't embarrass them by pointing them out. They're here for a graduation. See, Andy Nupp is from my hometown as well. I grew up going to a little school called Calvary Baptist Academy, grade school. And as I was reflecting on this thought this morning, I vividly recalled a moment when I was six years old when I got in a lot of trouble. Oh boy, you want to hear it, right? <laughs> well, I was acting off making fun of another boy in the restroom at our school when I was six. And when I came out the door, my teacher, who was a very authoritative woman, you did not mess with Mrs. Wright. She said that she wanted to talk with me. And so uh, after we got back to the room, she took me aside and she explained to me that she heard what had happened. 
Now, when she told me initially she wanted to talk to me, I kind of knew what it was about. Okay. But I thought, I'm going to lie, and I'm going I'm to weasel my way out of this one. That's when she told me, she said, I heard every word you said. And the school administrator, she said, I invited him to come over. Our school administrator is Mr. Bailey. He was six foot seven. Okay, and by contrary opinion, I've not always been six five. Uh, Six foot seven. And she said, Mr. Bailey heard every word you said. So my intention at the beginning was I'm going to lie. I'm going to weasel my way out of this. But the case was so full. The evidence so clear. I didn't say anything. That's what Paul says in Romans 3, verse 19. It's going to happen in the future judgment. What the scriptures demand of us will shut every mouth and will bring the whole world into accountability before God. Now, there's one other point to make. Verse 20. Paul takes things a bit further in his final judgment to explain why the demands of Scripture or the law will silence everyone. Look in verse 20 to see the reason why Scripture's demands will silence everyone. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The reason why the whole world will be accountable to God and will have their mouths shut by the Scripture's demands is because God will justify no human flesh on the basis of works of the law. Now, at this point, we need to slow down a little bit again, and we need to look at this phrase, works of the law, just to try to understand it in seed form. It's a very important phrase in Romans here and in Galatians. First, I want to point out that this phrase comes from two words in the original. The words are works and law. Works and law. And they are found nowhere else in this form in in the Bible or outside of the Bible other than eight times in Paul's writings. So Paul is the only person we know of to use the phrase works of the law. Paul uses it twice here in Romans chapter 3, and he uses it six times in Galatians. Now, this phrase, works of the law, is surprisingly controversial. And while I'm not going to get into it this morning, some of you may be aware of, uh, of a movement within scholarship called the New Perspective on Paul. This phrase is very important for that. Having said that, we should note, though, that the phrase is used by Paul as a contrast to faith as the means by which justification takes place. Six times in Romans and Galatians when he uses the word, it's used as the means by which justification takes place in contrast to faith. Okay, so faith is how someone's justified. In contrast to that, he talks about works of the law and how some people might want to trust them. Two times in Galatians, it's used in contrast of the means by which people receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And so I agree with my good friend Andy Nacelli here when he writes. He says, works of the law are a subset of works in general. No human being will be justified or will receive the Holy Spirit by works of any kind at all. So Paul refers simply here to the works that the law or the whole Old Testament commands. Okay, that's what works of the law are. No one will be saved on the basis of their obedience to Scripture because he or she cannot observe these demands found in Scripture as an infinite and holy God would demand. You see, what the Scripture demands uh, will one day shut every human mouth and hold every person accountable because no one will be justified by obedience to the demands of Scripture. Now, Paul gets this theology from the Holy Spirit, of course, who's inspiring him, but I think he also gets it from his Old Testament Bible. In particular, there's a psalm where David writes, and I think Paul gets this from David. Listen to this psalm, just this one verse. Enter not into judgment with your servant. This is David to God. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. See that? No one living is righteous before you. This is where David gets his theology. Matter of fact, some people think he's quoting or alluding to this passage. Paul just adds, no one living is righteous before you by works of the law. Right? We, we can't do this in ourselves. Yet in verse 20, Paul gives a different reason why works of the law will save no one at the end of the verse. Look, look at the end of the verse one more time. He said, for by works, start in the beginning, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in sight. And here's his reason. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The reason no flesh will be justified by the scripture is because through it comes knowledge of sin. But what is this knowledge of sin? Well, the law not only defines sin and delineates it for us, it helps us know what it Sin is. You know, just think of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, murder. And you just go through them. It helps us know what is right and wrong. It helps us not only intellectually, it also helps us know sin personally. You see, as we fail to attain to the demands of God presented in the law or the scripture, we recognize ourselves to be in bondage to sin's power and that we are justly condemned as sinful men and women. In other words, the more we become aware of God's rules, the more we break them. Oh, that's a rule of God? Ah. It provokes within us more and more sinfulness. Now, Paul will explain more about how the law provides a knowledge of sin in Romans 7. It's for a different day, Romans 7, 7 through 12. He'll return to this. The point here, however, is that the law does not justify, it only increases sinfulness. So, as we close, to the person, our neighbor, our friend, our coworker, who thinks he will be able to compare his life to another, or thinks he will be able to earn God's approval through his own works, Paul's final statement in verses 19 and 20 is a warning. 
What the Holy Scripture demands will stop their mouth. And obedience to the demands of Holy Scripture will save no one. What our neighbor needs, what we need, is a righteousness apart from the law. We need someone else to save us. We need Jesus. And men and women, may God help us this week to tell our neighbors, family, friends, co-workers that this week. May we tell them. No one gets away. No one talks their way out of it. They're only shut mouths in the future judgment. And only those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, will be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, for many of us, this passage articulates something we've known for a while. Lord, please, through your Spirit, motivate us this week to tell others. Tell them they can't talk themselves out of it. They won't be able to talk God out of judgment. No excuse, no self-justification will be able to do so. All flesh will be condemned in his presence. Lord, do this work in our heart. May we see our neighbor this way this week. Friend, family, may we even see ourselves. Lord, it is not unusual for believers to point the finger at others too. To make excuses. To think that other people need this sermon. Lord, we're all guilty before you. As Paul the Apostle says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Lord, we need your mercy and grace, and we're thankful for it. And we're thankful that we can remember it today at the table, the Lord's table. 